When I was about uh, 10, I received a chameleon to be a pet. I don't remember asking for a chameleon. It could change color. That was kind of lost on me altogether. Um, We never really grew close. (laughs) Then, uh, and then for some reason, we went away on a vacation for about a week, and um, he had like like a little shoebox for his home, and he remained in that at at our house while we were on vacation, and I kind of forgot about him. I don't know how long it was after we got back from vacation, but later that summer, at some point, I went, hey, Wiz, and I had a chameleon. <laughs> have you ever seen one of those chameleons they pull out of the pyramid that have been, you know, like uh, mummified for a thousand, two thousand, uh, that's, that's what my chameleon looked like. I'm sorry, I know it sounds harsh. I just, I just wasn't ready for a chameleon. I think it was a trick to show me that I wasn't ready for a puppy. In life, when you come into possession of a living thing, invariably, with that living thing you receive, there is a need to care for it. Whether that's a chameleon, or a puppy, or a spouse. I mean, I don't know how many, how many young men have married and thought, oh, this is just going to take care of itself. No. <laughs> Does not work that way. That marriage needs a lot of care. Um, The same thing with becoming a disciple, and that's what we're really going to look at today. Uh, Paul has made disciples, and there's a certain kind, a certain amount of care, sort of a discipleship 101 that we're going to talk about today. The big idea, disciples like chameleons, disciples need care. And we're going to look at a number of things that are clear, that are part of the upkeep and the care of a disciple. And so when you think about this for application's sake, you might think of it as a parent with with a child that's just been uh, dedicated to the Lord. You might think of it in terms of your own life as a disciple, or you might think about it as the the disciples that you know here at church that are fellow disciples and, and their care. First of all, disciples need the gospel. That's very basic, don't you think? And it's very clear. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made disciples... They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now, poor uh, Carl was given a passage with a ton of names today. Where are they at this point? You're thinking, I have no clue at this point. There were so many names thrown out. Well, last time Paul had gotten stoned, not, not, not inebriated, he'd gotten hit with stones uh, in a place called Lystra. And then it said at the very end of that passage where we left off that they then went the next day to Derby. So they're, they're in Derby, if, if you want to know the location. Uh, and um, Luke's a bit stingy here with his detail. Luke can expand stories and long, long narratives. And then sometimes he just gets it. I don't know, it's like maybe he was just busy that day and he had to write it really quickly. But it's very compressed. The good part about that is sometimes when these things are compressed the way they are, it, it really lets you see the forest for the trees. It really keeps you in on what's happening and, and the main thing. And, and Paul here is said to preach the gospel and to have made disciples. We've probably all heard the old saying that disciples are not born, that God has no grandchildren. We know that there are societies and countries all over the world where people are born Christian or born Muslim or born Jewish. And, and, and what we, just, we mean by that, that they're born into that household 
and may be in some countries regarded as that just a matter of birth. But that is not so with the Christian faith. That is not so when we're talking about being a disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus is to hear and to believe the gospel. That is how we come to Christ. Now, if you're really sharp and you're following and tracking, you're going, but yeah, but that isn't saying how we care for them. How, how exactly do, do we go from the birth of a disciple, the, the making of a disciple through the gospel, to, to the idea that the gospel is part of how we care for them? But see, that's the, that's the place where I think a lot of churches run off the rails and where a lot of Christians make a mistake. We think of the Christian life like, oh, the gospel, you know, that's that, that's that entry thing. That's that little hurdle that we have to get over at the beginning. You know, understand that, believe in the gospel, believe, then you're saved, and then, then we go on to the real stuff. And that's not how it is at all. That'd be like thinking, you know, I want a pet dolphin, because the chameleon thing worked out so well. And, uh, you know, I'll have to go to the ocean to get it. Right? You'd, and then I'll just bring it back to Kansas. Like, no, it, it needs the ocean. It begins in the ocean. It needs to continue in the ocean. The gospel is not only the beginning and the source of the Christian life. The gospel is the ocean that we swim in. The gospel is not just the appeal of the gospel. And that's a, that's a mistake sometimes people make. They'll say the gospel, and they think when you say the gospel that we mean the invitation of the gospel. The invitation of the gospel is to repent and believe. But the gospel is bigger than that. The gospel is the totality of what the Bible says about who we are, who God made us to be, the fall of man into sin and death and, and, and lostness and, and, and Christ's ministry and his death and his burial and his resurrection. It, it's the whole filter through which we understand who we are in the faith. It's the whole filter by which we understand who God is, who we are one with another. We are a gospel community one to another. Disciples need the gospel at the beginning and all the way through to the end. Secondly, disciples need the sovereign work of God. Now, I'm jumping out of order to stay in order. Look at verse 27, and you'll understand what I mean in a second here. So this is jumping ahead, and it's Paul and Barnabas. They're back at Antioch, and they're reporting. It says, and when they arrived and gathered the church to, together. Now, see, they're looking backward now as they're telling about it. They gathered all the church. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. You see why I jumped ahead? Because they're looking back at what happened at Derby, and what happened at Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, the other Antioch, the Pisidian Antioch, not the Syrian Antioch, for all of those that are sticklers. Um, and they're saying, this is what God did. What did God do? Well, we preached the gospel, and God opened doors. It wasn't, Paul could say, just that, that Barnabas and I were working by the sweat and toil uh, you know, uh, uh, of our brow to, to preach the gospel. God, who is sovereign over such things, God opened the doors. Do you see that? How God opened the door to the Gentiles. The door had been closed. God opened it. It reminds us one chapter ago when, when Paul 
was preaching at Pisidian Antioch, Acts 13, 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So do you see what's happening there? God is sovereign over salvation. God opens doors. God appoints to eternal life. Again, this, this is speaking about the beginning of the Christian life as with the, the idea of the gospel. So you're like, well, how does that then play out when we're talking about the maintenance or the care of the disciple? Well, think about Paul's words to the Philippians because he, he brings these two things together. Philippians chapter one. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, so that's the gospel, that's the receiving and the believing of the gospel, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We don't begin by a sovereign work of God's grace and then do the rest on our own. It it doesn't function that way. Now, how do you translate that into sort of the Christian life? How do we apply that? Because we can't, it's not like we can make God more sovereign than God is. You know, how does that sovereignty help us grow as a disciple? Well, Living as a a disciple can be difficult. Has anybody yet found that to be the case? Yeah, because we are in a battle with, with the world and the flesh and the devil, and there are all kinds of setbacks. Imagine a disciple who believes rightly that God started that good work in them, But rather than understanding the rest of the story, as Paul teaches in Philippians, they think that that's where the sovereignty of God ended, and now God has just sort of stepped back and said, okay, I opened the door for you, you walked through it, now let's see what you can do. What kind of a a, a Christian life would that be if you you looked at the world that, that way? Peter speaks to this a little bit in terms of how how we're to trust in the sovereignty of God. He says this, Therefore, let those who suffer, pay attention now, according to God's will. That's a sovereign God, sovereign over your life as a disciple. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. So as we care for the disciple, the heart of the disciple, meaning you, meaning me, as we try to see that, that our discipleship you know, flourishes, we have to have a handle on who God is and continues to be. He is sovereign. If I am suffering, if I'm going through trials, if I'm going through failure, whatever it might be, I am told I can trust him. I am to entrust my soul to him, I'm to walk in faith through those kinds of, that's just basic discipleship 101. How many have ever seen the movie Signs by M. Night Shyamalan? Um, weird movie. You have a pastor who uh, loses his faith. He loses his faith because his wife is in a tragic, senseless, aren't they all, tragic, senseless car accident. He's hit by, as she's out walking, and he can't reconcile that. How could a good God allow me to suffer? And so the movie starts with him clearly having left the faith, no longer uh, a pastor. And then aliens come, which is sort of the perfect pairing for that thought, isn't it? But 
Yeah, I, anyway, that's, that's, that's the movie. Alien, aliens come and they surround the guy's house. Uh, you know, they come out of the cornfields as they are wont to do. And, uh, and he boards up his house and he takes his children down to the basement. And they board the basement door and the aliens are trying to get in. And his son has asthma. And the inhaler's not in the basement, and his son starts to have an asthma attack. And there's this beautiful sort of metaphor that happens in the movie. Mel Gibson plays the dad, the, the, the pastor who'd lost his faith, and he's holding his son who's having this asthma attack. And as he's talking to his son, it's as if God is speaking to him in the process. I'll just read some of the dialogue. He says, he says to his son as he's holding him, stay with me. I know it hurts, be strong, it'll pass. Don't be afraid of what's happening. Believe it's going to pass, believe. Just wait, don't be afraid. The air is coming, believe, believe. We don't have to be afraid. It's about to pass, here it comes. Feel my chest, breathe with me together. The air is coming into our lungs together. And he says, we're the same, we're the same. He's the same as his son in that he's struggling to breathe the grace of God into his life and accept that God is in control and that God is there. It's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. This, this whole idea, though, is so basic to the Christian life. But maybe because of bad theology, many Christians are just stuck in kind of this asthmatic-like attack of, of anxiety. You know, where is God? Why has God deserted me? Why am I going through this? Why, why, why? God is sovereign, and when we suffer according to the will of God, we entrust our soul to a faithful creator. This is part of the basic understanding that the Christian life needs, and we need to get that, we need to get that in there from the very beginning. Thirdly, disciples need strengthened. Now we get to pop back into the regular order of the verses. We're popping back to verse 21 to 22. It says, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now that is such a beautiful little passage that it almost made me want to stop and break things up and make that one entire sermon because you can see it would work out to like a perfect uh, three-point sermon. I'm not gonna do that, but I just want you to notice something here. First of all, notice that the sovereignty of God does not mean that we leave a disciple to self-feed like a chameleon, which is obviously actually not how that works with taking care of a communion. Paul, a, a chameleon, I say chameleon. Paul is zealous to care for them. Paul's not a pastor, he's, a, he's an apostle. He has to go to where Christ hasn't been preached. So he preaches there, but then he has to move on to the next city. But he's very, very concerned and, uh, for these disciples that, that they grow. He goes back as he's on his way on the return journey and he strengthens them. Now how does he do that? How does he do it? Strangely, the text does not tell us. We are left to assume. Well, one chapter later, in chapter 15, you have two men, Judas and Silas, where it says they strengthen the disciples with many words. With many words. What does that mean? It means preaching and teaching with many words. I just want to say to those of you who are wanting me to preach 10-minute sermons, it says many words. 
It didn't say a few words, so that's my, that's my justification. But Paul is, what's happening is he's coming back through there and he's continuing to preach to them the word of God. He is, is, is proclaiming it, preaching it, and teaching it. This makes for stronger disciples. What you're doing right now is good for you. It's good for us to sit under the preaching of the word of God. It is one of the key ways, biblically speaking, that we would expect to be strengthened. So good, you're being strengthened. Do you feel stronger? Do you feel the burn? (laughs) I know where you're feeling the burn, but uh, we try to make the seas as comfortable as we possibly can. Um, It says they encouraged them, they encouraged them to continue in the faith. Now you would think that with the sovereignty of God, all things being equal, what, why would you need to encourage people to stay in the faith, to remain in the faith? Well, because tough times are coming. And we know the parable of the seed that was sown and some fell on hard, rocky ground and, and, and the birds came and they snatched it away. We know in the life of a young believer, how many experienced that right after you came to Christ that it felt like just the, the, the wrath of hell had been unleashed and there were all kinds of like, pulls in your life, trying to pull you away from, from that decision that you made to follow Christ. And so when someone, when someone comes to Christ, the first, one of the first order of business is, business is to strengthen them. Paul kind of preserved this, uh, this teaching in Colossians 2. If you look there, it says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. So he's talking to someone who's become a Christian. They've received Christ as Lord. So walk in him, rooted built up in him, established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So he's saying the new believer needs to be strengthened, they need to be encouraged to remain, they need to do the things to deepen those, you know, that, that seed that falls in the soil, those, those roots need to go down deep into Christ so that they might not fall away. And then he says, that it will be through many trials that we enter the kingdom of God. We, we just talked about that, so I don't need to dwell there a lot, but, but that ought to be discipleship 101. And, and I, it, it, often it's not, and I think that's a weird, strange deal with a lot of, uh, of basic discipleship material that you see. Like, this should be right front and center, is that with all the glory and all the joy of the Christian life, and let's not sell that short, it is like a treasure that you find in a field and you go and you sell everything you have and you go and you buy the field because Christ's love and, and his grace is so wondrous. Yet, Paul says to these disciples along the way as he makes his journey back, it is through many tribulations that we enter into the kingdom of God. That needs to be, that needs to be baked in that's the problem with the movie Signs. It's like he was a pastor. How did he not know that bad things can happen? Yeah, they do, and, and they will, and we need to be prepared for that. That is, is just part of it. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, I hope you're thinking this. Wow, this strengthening thing sounds like a really good deal. I'm a disciple. I need strengthened. Where can I get me some of that, huh? You're all thinking that, right? Like, oh, where do I get more of that? I hope you are. Well, disciples need churches. Disciples need churches. 
And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. I, I love how so much is just densely packed right into a travel narrative. You know, it's just, in one sense, you could go, ah, oh, these verses, what is it really about? It's Paul went from here to there to there to there and ended up there. All right? But there's so much truth that's, that's just packed into this. I, you have these Gentiles who have come to faith in these godless cities. They, they know practically nothing whatsoever. How would they grow? How would they grow? They didn't have the internet. They, they, didn't, have the, the, they didn't have newspapers. They didn't have the Pony Express. They didn't have, you know, anything. They were, they were like Robinson Crusoe, primitive as can be. They just had, they had nothing through which they would have received communication about. It was like they were sheep among wolves. So what does Paul do? Knowing how vulnerable they are, he comes back through the same regions and he plants churches. It doesn't say he plants churches. It just assumes that, that he's planting churches because there had been no church there. All of a sudden, we're talking about churches where he appoints elders. It's almost like under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul and Barnabas realized that growing disciples need to have churches. Paul is an apostle. Means he makes disciples in various places, but he understands, even though, even though he can't stay there, he knows that somebody should, and that somebody should be elders within the church. In the New Testament, elders, pastors, bishop, overseer, you've heard all these terms. Do you know that they're all the same thing? They're all the same thing. Um, bishop and overseer is actually the same word gets translated in different translations, either one or the other. And then, uh, and then pastors, which means shepherds, is used interchangeably with elders, which is used interchangeably with, but it's the leaders of the local church. It's the men that God installs and, and puts into place to feed the flock, to care for the flock, to care for disciples. Yeah. It, it, it can't be that we just take a church like, like, like a shoebox and set it aside and just go, yeah, it'll probably be okay. No, it needs cared for. And, and God has ordered this in such a way and made it clear that elders are to be in churches and in those churches they are to oversee, to, to pursue, to teach, to, to correct. If, if, if there are those that stray, they're there to go and, and bring them back. Down through the ages, Christians have understood that. Down through the ages, most Christians have understood the need for the church. I, I would say, it seems to me like within the last generation or two, Christians have moved away from this basic understanding that the church is necessary. How many kind of perceive that in the church today, and I mean the church at large, that Christians tend to think of church, our coming together, our congregating, as optional to the Christian life. And how many times on Facebook do you see people post things like, well, you don't need a church to be a Christian. Well, but if you're a Christian, you need a church. That's, that's the honest uh, truth. How did we get to that place? I don't know. I think some of it's good teaching that's been misapplied. Like, it is a good teaching to say that the Christian should self-feed. Shouldn't have to have everything spooned to you. That's true. You should learn uh, to read, to read the scripture, to be in the scripture, read good books about the scripture. You know, self-feeding, that's a very important thing. 
But maybe we've just gone so far that we've taught that so well that people are like, yeah, well, I don't need the church. You do. It is God's design. Tells us also that if, uh, by the way, that if you are elder material, that, that you should consider serving in that way. If God ordained and intended for disciples to be cared for through local churches where there are godly men appointed as elders, then godly men have to be trained and step into those roles. And I'm glad that here at Grace, I'm not the only elder. I'm not the only shepherd. We have a plurality of elders, meaning the elder board is made up of multiple men who serve in that capacity and we, we need them. They are to be models of, of just basic discipleship and discipleship care. And, uh, and we also have a group of young men that are being trained to become elders. So we have elders in training right now, which is really exciting um, a, as well. But uh, make sure that you're in a church like that. I'm not saying that Grace is the only church like that in town. Please don't, don't hear me wrong. But we are a church where we understand that obligation and where we are ordering the church along those lines to be a healthy church and to take care of disciples. Okay, finally, disciples need accountability to the church. They need accountability to the church. A point that we've talked about before, but it's worth uh, drilling down and speaking about it again right here in this context. Um, Disciples need accountability. They need to be in a church where they're accountable to one another. I know a guy, uh, I hope you don't know him, um, because uh, I, don't I, don't, I don't want me to mention somebody and, and talk, but, but I don't think you would know this person. But they, it's a person who flitzes around town, and, he, and he, as far as I know, he never goes to any church on a Sunday morning, almost never. But he drops in on pastors because he has a hobby, a theological hobby horse that he likes to talk about, and he will come in and, pastor and it's like who let you in here uh, they got by my security uh, guards uh, they say yeah he comes in no no yeah can I come in yeah because <laughs> I've talked to him so many times and, I, and I've it's gonna sound bad I've, I've sort of reached the limit of my patience because twice now I've told him look you know your theological interests aside what do you think you're doing like this is not the Christian life, you going around and just talking to every pastor in town. You need to be in a church. You need to be part of a church. You, you have opinions, you have biblical opinions, well then, then go to a church and be under that authority and be within that structure and, and listen to other people. Don't just go around you know, telling everybody else what they should believe. And yet he still shows up. Anyway, um, I don't really trust a Christian, so-called, who thinks he or she is too good for the church. If you picked one character in the New Testament, aside from Jesus, if you picked one character in the New Testament who would have least needed the church, who would that person be? Paul, hey, there you go. That's who I would think. Like if, he, if there was one person who did not need the church because he was so Mm, wow, so close to Jesus. Like he's considered everything just you know, manure by comparison to the gospel and he loves Christ that much and he's just straining forward. He's not looking back. That's Paul, right? He should not really need the church. But what does Paul do again and again and again? He goes back to the church 
that sent him. Paul was sent out by the church of Syrian Antioch. He was commissioned by them. They had prayed over him and over Barnabas and they'd sent them out. And then in verses 24 through 28, Paul and Barnabas make their way home. They go through all those cities again. They short circuit Cyprus for whatever reason, I don't know, but, they, but all, otherwise they hit all of the same places and, and they go back to Antioch, Syrian Antioch, and it's mission accomplished. They go back and they report. Get back to verse 27. They gather the church together. They give the report. Why did they have to give a report? What business was it of Antioch's? This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. Why should he have to answer for anything he did? He was picked and called by Christ himself. But there's such a humility about that. There's such a a, a humility and a proper understanding of God's kingdom in in the way he submitted himself to the church. And then in verse 28, we read that after they had reported and and people had given praise to God for that door that was open to the Gentiles, that he stayed there no little time. Why do you suppose he stayed there no little time, which is a weird way of saying it. Why do you think he did? Because he was drinking in the strength and the encouragement, and the love, and the support of his church. Paul, he needed that. Now there are some people, I'll let you in on a little secret, who do not need the church. And I'm not talking about dead people, because they need the church. They're with the church in in heaven. Um, No, there are some people that are so far advanced in their their walk with Christ um, that... um, you know, they put the Apostle Paul to shame. They're just so spiritual. So if you're one of those people more spiritual than Paul, we'll just excuse you. You, don't, you won't have to be part of the church at all. You can just be unto yourself up on a mountaintop. We'll all come up and talk to you when we need help. But anybody from Paul on down in terms of where you're at spiritually, don't know how many of you that picks up Those people need the church. If Paul needed the church, that's my argument. If Paul needed the church, you need the church. If Paul felt responsible to go back and give an accounting to the church that sent him, then we need to be held accountable by the church. If Paul could draw strength and and encouragement from that group of people who were not apostles, they're just ordinary Christian people, and yet he stayed no little time among them. If that be true, then how much more do we need the church? How many of you have seen the movie Togo? Any? Oh, that's a good movie. It's, it's one of the rare good Disney movies, right? Am I right? Good, dis, good rare Disney movie. Um, they're not making many good ones anymore, but this was a good one. It's based on a true story. It's actually based on the same story that the animated film Balto um, was. It turns out we, we got scammed on Balto. We got totally, yeah, they scammed us on that deal because Balto really didn't run that far. He just got to be on the last leg of the race. But the real hero of that, do you know the setup I'm talking about? So I got to bet, 1925, diphtheria breaks out in Nome, Alaska. The weather's getting bad. They can't take trains. They can't take planes or any way to get the antitoxin to the people that are dying. The little children are dying, and they, they have to get it by, by dog sled. The only way to go, it's 674 miles by dog sled to get this to them. And uh, Togo was the lead dog for Leonard Seppala, who traveled of, the, of that whole 674 miles, he traveled a, a grand total of 264 miles. 
there were 20 teams of dog sleds, but they traveled by far and away the farthest. There's not, I'm, I'm coming back to it in a second. There, there's nothing more precious in, in all the world than a human soul. The soul of a disciple, the care of a disciple. If you think about the role of the church, what the church is about, isn't that like job number one? Making disciples and, and growing disciples, caring for disciples is right up there. Right up there, way near the top. And you, we don't do that alone. It was never meant to be done alone. Even Sepala and Togo, right? they, they've made what? A little under half of the total miles. But if you think you're gonna live your Christian life unto yourself, isolated, either you're really proud and arrogant because you think you're better than the Apostle Paul, or you're just greatly, greatly mistaken about the whole nature of it. And, and that would be like trying to make that 674 miles on your own. With any luck, they'd find your frozen body you know, in the spring thaw. That would, that's, that's your chances. You, you, you need the church. We need accountability. We need the one another. We need the word of God being preached to strengthen us. We need to be encouraged to remain in the faith. We need to be warned that the Christian life is not all just this, this bed of roses, that it is through many tribulations that we enter into the kingdom of God. We need to know that God, the God who called us, the God who opened the door, who is sovereign, that he is still sovereign over our life, even when we go through those tribulations and those times of testing, he is with us. We haven't failed simply because we're facing difficult times, and we need the body of Christ for that. We simply need the church. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak, because you're here. <laughs> but I want to confirm that to you. And I, if there's ever a thought to you like, eh, maybe I really don't need church that you need it. You need it. We, we all do. Disciples are not born. They are made. The only birth involved is the second birth. But they are made. They have to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel by repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. And so today, our prayer as a church, my prayer for you, if you're not a believer and, and you're hearing this, is that God would just break that door down, break that door open, and allow the gospel to come all the way to the very center of your being and that, that you would hear the gospel. That, and the gospel is simple. It's that, that God sent his son Jesus into the world to die for sinners. He was buried. He rose the third day. And if you look to Christ, if you repent and you believe upon him, you will be saved. You will then be a disciple. And at that point, you're not done. <laughs> at that point, as a young disciple, what do you need from that point on? You need a church. You need people who will surround you with love and accountability and welcome you and our church, Grace Community Church, would love to be that to you. So if, if that's where you're at today, then trust Christ and, uh, and join the church. We'll, we'll be there for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which encourages and strengthens us in the faith. Lord, remind us in hard times that you are still sovereign, that when we suffer according to your will, that we can trust our souls to you because you care for us, Lord, and we know this and, and we can depend upon it. We pray, Lord, that we might not uh, grow weary 
in doing good, and Lord, that we might not stop, that we might uh, not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, Lord, but that we might continue knowing, knowing our great need. Lord, build disciples here in this place. We give ourselves to that work, and we pray that even t- this day might be such a day where someone will turn and become a follower of Jesus Christ, receiving not only eternal life, but with it, receiving a family. And we want to we want to be a family to that person. So we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.